This is the Lattice Training Podcast, where we bring you the best in climbing performance and training from the world's elite athletes, thought leaders, and coaches. Hello, this is Tom Randall, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a guest on the show that I've wanted to chat to for a very long time indeed, the one and only Eve Gravel. And for a good reason, I've wanted to chat to this chap. He's got some of the strongest fingers in the world and an unusual crossover in that not only is his grip insanely good for climbing, and more on that in a second, he's also also won multiple world titles in arm lifting and reckoned by those in the know in that industry as being possibly pound for pound the strongest grip in the world. In terms of his climbing, Eve has been an international athlete having represented Canada for a number of years. He's bouldered V15 and repeated and established multiple problems in the double digit range. If you're someone that's interested in the opinion, practices, methods, and much more of an athlete that's probably in the 0.0001% of their game when it comes to finger strength, basically, it's going to be a really, really good listen. So listen hard, folks. We're getting right into it with Eve. How was that intro, Eve? Is it all right? Yeah, it's great. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Tom. Uh, we had a little chat before we got started on this podcast, and you kind of just got me really psyched because you started talking about all the things that we could talk about. And I feel like I could go through a massive list of things because you've got this perspective from both climbing and also from arm lifting or grip sports. And you're a switched on intelligent guy. You're a dad you know, a full-time worker, you've got lots of things going on in your life and you've got lots of creativity going. But I think I want to start right at the beginning of explaining to anyone that's listening who doesn't know who you are. Um, some people might not might come to the channel for the first time uh, ever is, can you just give a bit of context to everyone about where your fingers are at? Like in terms of your basic benchmarks of finger strength, like for certain lifts and hangs on an edge with added weight where are you at with your pbs uh so yeah so um i think if we're talking of finger fingertip strength which is the one that i think most climber will relate to a lot uh yeah i just uh, actually just broke my own record uh, this week so i did uh, 107 kilos on an 18 millimeter edge so that's that's for me that's I, that's my personal best song on that right now uh the rolling thunder which is another device that's very popular in the arm lifting community uh i've done 105 in training and saxon bar uh, which is a pinch bar like a three inch pinch bar that looks almost like a deadlift bar but you pinch it and that i've done uh, 120 kilos so yeah those are kind of like the benchmark and i've i've lifted the the inch dumbbell the thomas inch dumbbell which is uh a very famous dumbbell that it went for a very long time. No, no other person could lift it. Uh, and I, I, I'm apparently, I'm not an expert, uh, but apparently I was the lightest person to uh, ever lift the, this dumbbell. And uh, yeah, so that's one, a couple of the few, uh, few benchmarks, I guess I've did in the, uh, in, in the finger strength world. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Some of these benchmarks, because, Yes, they're really hard to, in a way, match or compete with, but they're very basic metrics that 
give anyone that watches one of your videos or listens to this podcast an idea of the kind of standard that you've got to and I suppose the human potential of where the the forearm or the hand and the thumb etc can go in terms of force generated yeah yeah and like the, the the 18 mil two is like uh, one hand so I forgot to mention I guess it makes a big difference to <laughs> one or two hands but uh yeah, I think uh, it's, it's interesting because for me, I was introduced to this sport just a few years ago. I was invited to a local competition like the King Kong, which is an international competition, but it was hosted at uh, a local venue at my, my own climbing, uh, my gym, my local gym. So I was invited there with, to, uh, by, uh, by a friend. That's where I met uh, Eric Roussin. I think you had a talk to him as well uh, recently. So that's how we met. And uh, it was crazy because uh, he was actually, he lives maybe a block away from my house and we started training at night and, uh, you know, sharing training ideas. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a wild ride. And I've been, I've been really interested in this sport because for me, I obviously I saw a really good crossover between uh, both discipline climbing and uh, arm lifting. And I was curious to see if some of the stuff I would do in there or I would learn would carry over and improve in my, my performance in climbing. So, yeah, I was like, uh, I had a couple of lovely surprises that uh, it does transfer well. Plus, it was interesting for me to do a new sport, but I didn't have that I was able to compete at a high level, but I didn't have to, you know, sacrifice a lot because, because of the carryover. I could do both together. So use some of the 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 finger training and then do some climbing and they would go well together and i didn't have to sacrifice one or the other so yeah yeah i, I mean one of the reasons why i uh, finally actually got around to interviewing you and and a number of other um athletes that work it in or compete in the grip sports is that we saw a really big change in climbing habits in terms of training when the pandemic happened because a lot of people were looking at ways of training their grip strength finger strength in a more mobile manner where they didn't have to set up a fingerboard or they had shoulder injuries or they didn't want to overdo it in terms of the load in one singular plane of motion and mm -hmm. the whole lifting thing i just think really took off in the last couple of years but we're in climbing we're trying to like catch up with 10 15 20 years of arm lifting experience very quickly and trying to learn what's the best practice yeah and like i mean it, what's interesting what i noticed right away when i was because i had a background in and climbing before is when i got into the arm lifting world i noticed that a lot of the competitors or the very strong competitors are big like they're big guys you know most of them are going to be over 200 pounds and like you know, they're very muscular they have large hands and uh, the lighter weight divisions like uh which a lot of climbers are very very small and very strong for their weight i think uh, climbers have a lot of potential to do very well in arm lifting and especially represent uh, climbers and do very well in these weight categories at the lower weight categories because uh there's still a lot of growth to be made there and the, it's a little bit less uh, common to see lighter weight athletes. So there's definitely a lot to, uh, yeah, we, we can definitely, we could do a lot of damage, I think, in, uh, in the arm lifting world uh, if we start to, uh, if we start to compete in there. Yeah. 
before I go into some of your kind of earlier years within climbing that I want to in a second, I just wanted to ask about, because um, it's something that just immediately cropped up in my mind was when you, when I just started asking you there about kind of some of your standard benchmarks that you had with things like um, the, uh, what was it, is it, do you call the axle lift? Yeah, the axle or the rolling thunder. Uh, the rolling thunder. And then what's the big square bar called? Oh, the, the Saxon bar. Yeah, oh, the it's Saxon like bar. a bench bar, yeah. Were there certain things that you found uh, transferred very quickly from climbing, which you immediately got very, very good levels at um, in the arm lifting world, but others where you went, whoa, I've had to put some hard work into those. I didn't transfer immediately. Yeah, one of the funny ones, actually, is like, uh, so the thick bar, like the rolling thunder, the axle, uh, those are the ones that I had to put the most work into, because uh, first of all, I, I don't have a massive hand, like my, my, I think it's, I don't know, I never really measured like my length of my hand, but for these bar, most of them are like around like two, two and a half inch, so like pretty big, and it's almost like, I, I don't have as much purchase as some of like the really big competitors that have like nine or 10 inch mitts, you know, that can get their hands like all the way uh, almost around. So that was definitely one of the very challenging ones for me. I had to put in a lot of work to, uh, to improve and to be where I wanted to be. And the axle, same thing. I've never really did that much weight training. And uh, at first was deadlifting that much weight. I, I had to work a lot on my technique to make sure I wouldn't get injured and uh, so that's one that was a little bit more challenging where I had to actually do some work and do some deadlifting and uh, train on my, my technique a lot more. And then some of the pinch, I was, that, that one's very surprising as well, because I thought when I first competed, I thought that climbers would absolutely demolish and pinch strength. I thought we were going to be, uh, when I first competed, it was like, wow, there's a pinch of, and I'm going to do really well. But actually, I don't think we're that strong at pinching. Personally, I know I'm not that strong at pinching, but what I'm really good at is compression strength, compression strength. So squeezing. So if I uh, look at both like the a one hand pinch, my results not going to be that impressive, like uh, on a global level. But as soon as I get to use both hands and I can compress using my backs and my lats, then my numbers just like skyrocket. So I noticed that I started noticing that that uh, climbers we're maybe not as strong at, at pinching as we think we are, but we are very strong at compression and squeezing. Or I am anyway. I, I, that's something that I noticed. Um, and one thing that I noticed that carried over really well, uh, other than the, the, the some of the device that we're used to, like the 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 finger lifts, the kind of like the um, like like all those portable uh, hangboards. Those those carry very well that's probably the best uh, probably the best correlation for transfer to climbing uh one that i i really like was the wrist wrench so which is basically a a, a tubing like a, a handle that's about two and a half inch and has a strap that you wrap around and it, when you pull on it, it's kind of hard to describe but like when you pull on it it has a very uh, unique feeling where it kind of like attacks your wrist and it wants to open your hand and your wrist and open up your wrist. And that is one I trained for that one for a, a competition. I think it was a Canadian arm lifting nationals. And I started training on that a lot and I didn't do any climbing training. And when I start, I, I just, uh, you know, the beast maker, uh, slopers, like the 45. So when I went on those, 
I just like, I could do so well. I could hold them with one hand or even had weight with one hand. It's something I've never been able to do in our, or envision it be possible. And that is a hundred percent has to do with that. Like I've noticed that even if I warm up, say if I want to do some sloper training and I warm up with that, I, my performance always goes up uh, if I do a specific warm up with, uh, with that device. So this one definitely, it's something I never thought that maybe wrist had a big, uh, big factor in climbing performance, especially on slopers or, but it, I think it does. It has a, a good carryover and it's something maybe we could, we could learn and benefit from uh, in, in climbing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you've brought up the wrist wrench as well. Pretty much every single person that I've spoken to, has very highly rated that particular device for either training or um, for, you know, just basically creating metrics to look at wrist strength. Um, yeah. it's, it's been very highly rated. And it's a very unique feeling to like, uh, I, I believe you tried it as well. And it, it has a very, it's very unique sensation. Like it really feel that it wants to open up your wrist and your hand. So it's, it's very unique. It, and when we talk about, like, we you know, we talked about earlier, the uh, inch, inch dumbbell. So the feeling you have when you lift the inch is exactly like, like that. So it's basically, it's a two and a half inch handle that's looked like a pop can. And then you have two huge globes on each side. And when you try to lift it, that's exactly what it wants to do. It just wants to, to flip around and like open up your hand. It's a very unique feeling. Like even lifting any other type of dumbbell doesn't do that. It's just because probably the shape of the globe that, uh, that forced that, uh, that sensation. But the, this is the closest thing I felt to, uh, to, uh, to that, uh, that dumbbell. And I think if you lift about a hundred pounds on the, on the wrist wrench, it's getting pretty close to the sensation of lifting the, uh, the inch. Mm. Right. Let's let's go back to uh, some of the earlier years in climbing. I just want to kind of uh, just go back a little bit in time. And and I suppose I like doing this because I always want to see where athletes have come from and some of their early approaches and the things that they worked well for them in their first five to 10 years. Because I always think it's easy for people to look at people like you and go, the standard and ability of Eve is so unbelievably out of reach for me because all they can see is the the polish at the end after you know 22 years of climbing and a very very well-conditioned well-practiced expert in the field but going back in time it's a, a little bit of a different story uh, normally so talk yeah. me through those first five five or ten years how quick was your progression what kind of specialization did you do were you very broad uh, just talk me through it yeah. So like when I started, like I, I, I didn't, I didn't know too much about training or anything like that, but I was still like someone that was always, I was always been like an obsessive uh, personality where I, when I want to learn something, I go all out. Like I kind of like just focus on that one thing and I'll try to find everything I can to get better. Uh, one thing though, I can say about when I started climbing, I was, because I think my progression was really fast. I got really strong. My technique suffered quite a bit. So I was always like very sloppy type of climber and that I would end up campusing a lot, like cutting loose. And then I found that like, it was easier for me to campus than actually like use my feet, which was really bad. It took me a, a long time to, to correct uh, those mistakes. 
And at, at that age, when I was younger, I didn't really care. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm better without my feet. So I'll just climb everything without my feet. And I think that kind of shaped a lot my style as well, like uh, getting very strong, like physically very strong. Uh, and yeah, I think it shaped a lot my, my climbing style in, uh, in, that, in that regards, I guess. Yeah, another thing I guess I could talk about when I was uh, when I was younger, I also I would get a lot of injury. And this is another thing a lot maybe people will be interested in is uh, so uh, I, I read in a book, which is still very popular. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people think that way is uh, to never, never train your crimps, always train like open hand or semi open. And I read that in books and it's like, OK, so that's the that's what I'm supposed to do. So I'll do that. And I noticed one thing that every time I would go to a competition or I would try a hard boulder outside with bad crimps, I would get injured. So that happened quite a few times in a row. And uh, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to try something different this time. So I started rehabbing and then just doing like really easy climbing using crimps. So like on vert, using my weight, like putting all the weight on my feet and slowly building my crimps. And then I slowly just kept progressing like this for like maybe a year. I just kept like pushing, pushing, pushing. And it became like probably my, one of my biggest strengths in, in climbing. And a funny thing, I think in over 15 years, I never got an injury from a finger injury after that. So that, that's something that's very interesting. I, I think sometimes it's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily the type of holes that the dangerous or, but what you're actually prepared for. So if you actually, if you're say I'm going on a climbing trip and uh, on limestone and there's tons of pocket and never trained pocket, I'm going to be a lot at, I'm going to be at risk of injury. So my approach is always trained for what, uh, for, for what you're going to be, uh, be doing in the, in the field or yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think um, it's a really important point that, that, it's and it's a it's a quite a nuanced point and not always the easiest to get across in um you know talking to someone down the wall or writing it in a blog or an instagram post is that certain moves aren't by their nature of which move they are higher risk so for example a um an extreme rose move for example is not that the move itself is a problem it's just that people rarely ad adequately condition themselves for the specifics of the movement and the load of the soft tissues in that specific movement. So then mm -hmm. it becomes risky because they will often use that at their limit and they're poorly conditioned for it. So I think your point is a really good one because what people need to hear is that if you have a certain demand on the projects or the style of climbing you're going to go to, look at how you address in that training in a more specific manner. Yeah. 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 That's, that, that's been, uh, yeah. My, uh, my point of view as well is to really train for the demand of my sport. So yeah. And uh, yeah. And same with training, you know, like sometimes I, I I'm very busy, you know, I have like a job and a family and all that. And I don't have as much time as a lot of people to go in the gym or when I used to be younger, like spend 20 plus hour in the gym, just training. So when that's when I stopped, uh, I stopped competing. I was like, okay, well, you know, I just don't have the time to, to do at a high level. I find I don't have the time to, to get all the tools that I need to perform at uh, that. So I, I became my, my new 
meta of the training is was really become a specialist to specialize. So say I'm a, I'm, I climb outside and uh, I want to do well, I'll, I'll focus on a specific style of climbing. So say with like crimpy or steep or with a lot of body tension, I'll, I'll focus on a couple of things that I have time to train at home that I could do really well. And then I'll transfer really well to a specific style. outside. And so that's one of the beauty of climbing outdoors is we get to choose what we want to climb. So if you do that, if you use that approach, you can have really high, uh, high performance with the minimum amount of, uh, of, of time, you know, you can just focus on a few things that, you know, that'll make a big difference in, in, in your climbing. So analyze what, what the demands are for what you want to climb and then apply that to your, uh, your training. And how, how many years do you think you had under your belt in a more sort of broad approach to your climbing that then you built that kind of more specific focused approach with? Cause I would say I do very similar with my own outdoor yeah. projects, but I'd be interested to see what your block of time, how many years you went broad and then narrowed. Yeah, uh, maybe 10, 15 years. It's been more, a bit more recent. I've, I've become more of like a, uh, more of a specialist just because of, of time management, you know? So I have, to, I have to have a specific amount of time and, you know, I have to do the best that I can with that amount of time. So I would say maybe the last like eight years, I focused a little bit more on that approach. And then before that, I would spend a lot of times uh, mostly focusing on competition climbing, not too interested in outdoor bouldering yet or anything like that. And uh, yeah, I would spend, I would say maybe 20 plus hours a week. Yeah. In the gym. And, and how long out of, uh, have you been fingerboarding for out of interest in a sort of consistent manner? I think per, mostly since this, the start of, uh, I, since I started climbing, I always, so tr the training part of climbing is always something I've been really attracted by and, and I really love I love training for climbing I think it's one of my favorite favorite thing about climbing and uh, that's a reason why I think I'm, I became really good at uh, at arm lifting and all those fingerboard things because I'm more of a like I'm more of a fingerboard specialist than a climber in some ways you know like I, because I spent so much time training and that's why I think I have big numbers because uh just because of the the amount of time that I spent actual training, right? So there's different approach. I think there's different approach for that's one of the beauty of climbing as well is like there's a lot of different ways to become good or progress. And uh, mine, I've always focused a lot on, uh, yeah, physical performance or in the training aspect of it, which is not necessarily. I don't think is the best way, but uh, yeah, it's definitely possible. Yeah, you can do it that way for sure. And and given that you've you've got a a long history of fingerboarding now, which in itself I think is really interesting and relatively unusual as well, because fingerboarding has got very popular, especially in like the last five years. But finding people that have done like 10 plus years is a little bit harder to, to, to get those people. Is my question is when it comes to fingerboarding method, have you have you evolved your approach? of sort of types of finger strength training you've done over the years. So like, you know, classic things like, have you changed the amount of repeater work you've done versus max hang work versus long duration hangs to failure or long duration hangs at set intensities? How's that blend of approaches changed over the years? Yeah, it, it did, especially in the past few years. Like I always try to find new things and improve on it. And one of the big things that I, 
I picked up from when I started doing a lot of arm lifting is uh, like obviously lifting from the floor has been a big, uh, a bit a big influence on me. And in the past few years, I've been using that method quite a bit for uh, for developing my fingers. And I've seen a, a really good transfer or carryover to climbing. Like uh, didn't make a difference if I hang from like an edge or actually lifted it. Like it carries over really well. And plus, it's uh, like you said, it's uh, it, it can reduce a lot of uh, risk of injuries for the shoulder. If people that were I, I, a lot of people contact me now and they say, oh, you know, I uh, I started arm lifting or like lifting from the floor because I had a pec a, por- uh, a torn pec, a pec sorry or a lat and then uh, or finger, a shoulder injury and then you know I was able to keep keep training like that. So I find it pretty interesting. Uh, one of the things that I did start doing a lot is for each, uh, each lift that I do or each tr- um, training exercise I would, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a specific warm up for it. So back in the day, I would do kind of like a general warm up, and then I would do my sets right away, kind of like the, the training sets right away. And one of the things that I changed uh, in the past few years, and I saw a, that had a big impact on my, uh, my performance is uh, doing a specific warm up. So, say my training sets are going to be at uh, 80 or 85% of my one rep max. Well, then I'll start like around at 50 and I'll do some reps there and I'll increase like 60, 70, and I'll work my way up to my, my main training set. So, that adds a lot to the quality of the training, I think, that uh, do, do you uh, using this method. And it also builds a little bit more volume. So yeah, it's, that that's been a game changer for me. That uh, I probably won't go back to a, a different way. And now I even apply it when I do stuff on the hangboard. You know, uh, I'll either gonna go down progressively, go down on smaller edge, or same thing. I'll start on a good edge and I'll add weight till I'm at my uh, the the weight that I need to be for my training sets. Yeah. So that's that's one that uh, that I picked up from arm lifting or uh, powerlifting programs that I've been applying to my. Uh, my climbing training yeah so so in a in a climbing specific setting what you're saying is that you'll warm up for a two-arm weighted heavy weighted dead hang session on a 20 mil edge would be very different to a micros max hang session the warm-up for that those two yeah so even like if i do uh for example like if, if i do the lifting from the floor, deadlift type technique for the, now I'll use a lot of kind of like say a six millimeter edge on a portable hangboard and I'll work my way up to it. So it's because one one thing that I really like about lifting from the floor is you don't have the limitation of working with your own weight. So you can start and you don't, it doesn't fluctuate. You know, like when I'm using my body weight, uh, some days I'm a bit heavier, some days I'm a bit lighter. So I can be very precise. And that's another reason I like, I, I don't know, I like, I like very precise numbers when I train. I like to know exactly where I am. And that's another reason why I've calibrated steel plates so that I know by the gram how precise my plates are. For me, I know it's a bit crazy, but it, for me, it makes a big difference in, in my mind. Uh, so it, like, again, to go back to the micros, so I'll train with, I'll start, say, uh, I want to get close to a body weight. I'll start like around 30 kilos, uh, or sorry, like 20 kilos, 25, 30, and then 35. Say I get close to my main sets, then those are going to be my main set. Then uh, I've been doing a lot more repetitive type of training uh, nowadays too. So using reps to dictate uh, the intensity and the volume of, uh, of my training. Uh, before, I, obviously, like most climbers, I used to just do hangs, you know, do hangs. 
and that was how I would uh, structure the intensity. But I've been really enjoying doing reps. Uh, yeah, that's that's one thing that uh, yeah I I do a lot now. And do you think it's a the nature of being in a particular approach that you'll take? So let's say, and when I say approach, um, whether it's fingerboard training for ten years or um, arm lifting for 10 years or climbing on a moon board for 10 years that naturally as a high level athlete, you have to cycle through different approaches because you end up in that, uh, situation where you don't get the same kind of returns from taking an approach that did work for say one year. And then you have to keep swapping it up and cycling things around. Do you think that's part of a natural cycle for you? Or has it been very deliberate in saying, I think this method is better than what I was using last year. So therefore I've chosen it. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think the for me, the method that doesn't matter too much more than the, uh, I, I like to be consistent. I, don't, I try not to choose too many different type of exercise. So uh, if I do a one arm dead hangs or something, I, I'll try not to change my methods like, uh, or the, the training tools all the time. So I'll have a couple tools that I like to use that I'll use very often but I'll vary a lot the volume. So I'll have days that my training load is going to be very high and some days going to be a bit lower. So that I think for me, that's very important to vary the monotony of your, your training. So it's not always that, you know, the same thing. Okay. I'm going my four sets, four sets, four sets for each session. I'll vary my training load quite a bit. And uh, yeah, for me, that's a method that works really well. I'm sorry. What was the question before? I kind of forgot that what we we're talking about. Sometimes oh, they, um yeah it was uh I, I think i've i think i've even forgotten what it was now um because i was thinking about exactly what i wanted to ask you next which yeah. i can just go straight sometimes, on to um, sometimes, sometimes i space out and kind of like start going into a different subject i get excited about and, and i forget what i was uh i was even talking about don't worry i do exactly the same so uh i'll ask you the, the, the next question i was about to go on to um which was when it comes to your fingerboard training um do you think that now what you you do is much higher load than what you've previously done, say, five years ago or so? Or do you think you're just more intelligent and strategic about the spreading of that training load? Because I know that you're a parent and you've got a full time job and you have to be quite clever about the use of your time. Um, I'd be interested to see whether you feel that now it's just about being clever about how you put that load rather than just more load, more load, more load. Yeah, I think it's important to try to increase the increase the load. At one point, you're going to there's a certain amount of load. Like if you're doing like you're used to doing four, four sets or something, it's not going to be enough. You're going to need more to adapt. Like I think at one point you're going to need to change it up and increase a little bit. Uh, what I've been doing, like since now that I, like my parent and job and all that, I'm juggling a lot of different things is I do a lot of sessions, but they're shorter. That's the big difference. Before I would do long session, I go to the gym and I'll train four or five hours. Now my sessions are a lot smaller. So usually I have an hour or two hours. So I have to be a little bit more efficient. Yeah. Uh, there's one that I came up, uh, came across recently. That's very interesting as well for people that don't have that much time. I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, the pause rep, uh, rest method for for training. So like, okay, so say say I have I'll take so just this 
traditional method where I would train uh, strength at say 80% of my max. And I would do uh, four, four reps, right? And then I would rest four or five minutes and then I would do another set. So instead of doing that, so this method you do uh, one, you do your first set at 80%. So you do, I would do like three reps, like usually one or two reps shy of the of my max, of max rep on at that intensity. And then I would rest 20 seconds. And then it's crazy because you just keep, every 20 seconds, you will do one rep. And I was, I was really shocked because when I saw the, 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 the science behind it and the, 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 the papers that was published on these types of training, I was like, whoa, there's no way that I'm going to lift at 80% and do like 18 reps in a, in a row with 20 seconds. And it actually works. And it's really nice. One of the advantage of training like that is if you don't have a lot of time, you can, you can basically do the volume, the same amount of volume you would do in a traditional session, but it'll take you like half the time. So that's something that's kind of interesting that I found recently that I've been trying uh, and it's, it's working really well. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting here. I, I, yeah. I, I know about it from weightlifting, yeah. um, but I hadn't necessarily thought about applying it across into finger strength training, which I don't think it's illogical to at least experiment with it. And there's no, yeah, I tried it. I tried it for, for both fingers and just for, uh, for training itself, like strength training, like for pull-ups or like, uh, weight training. And it works really well and you can get, uh, and it's also like, you don't have a lot of downtime. So every 20 seconds you're doing a rep. So you're always busy. So if you're someone that's very distracted or easily distracted or something like that, it's really nice. Cause you can get done, get your training done really fast with minimum distractions yeah it might, might be a really nice um sort of change method for doing any sort of an anaerobic capacity um yeah. high intensity repeater work yeah for sure yeah 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 but just what i was very interested about it was that you were still able to pull say at the, around th that maximum strength uh, intensity that you would do usually in a, in a maximum strength uh, training but with very short recovery period. So it's, it was different. And uh, yeah, I've been trying it recently and it, it seems to work very well, especially when I'm in a time crunch. I don't have that much time. I'll use that. And then one other tip that I, I do a lot and I was, because I always like to rest a lot between my, when I do strength, uh, strength session, I like to do four or five minute rest is I'll cycle between a finger exercise and then a, a, a strength exercise, like a pull-up, weighted pull-ups, and a stretching exercise. So I'll try to, instead of just waiting four minutes for my next set, I'll just try to cycle in between uh, different things. But as long as they're not too close, I won't do two finger exercise in a row or something like that. So that's something that's that's been helpful for me for maximizing my time. Yeah, so that though, I think as, you know, like uh, if you're not a professional athlete and just doing it full time, that can be one of the challenges is to actually like maximizing your you're training with a little bit of time, little time to train. So, so th those are some, some things that I've been doing. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a real struggle. The whole time management thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm a parent as well and I have a full-time job and I've juggled madly for a number of years of how to all fit it in. And I think all of us that have this, whether we're trying to be professional athletes or, just climb our hardest or hold down two part-time jobs you have to you have to really, 
Yeah, yeah. You have to get creative with these yeah, yeah, little yeah. things. One thing I have yeah. found is that um, with that particular uh, method of sort of combining exercises is that for me, I have to be quite careful with my general level of kind of large muscle conditioning with that blend of exercise. So if I go into a period of training where I haven't got a good base of strength and conditioning work in the gym and use that method, I, I basically get really shaky and the okay. quality of all my work goes down quite quickly because my body is just getting bombarded with too much high intensity work. And I guess sort of like a CNS yeah. fatigue and I'm just out of there. Yeah. Have you ever tried using a hand dimometer to, to test uh, the internal load? Like sort of your, how you're, how you're responding to training as well. That could be an interesting, uh, interesting way to, uh, to get like a, yeah, an objective value of uh, internal load for climbers, I think to, to evaluate fatigue on the training. In fact, now that you brought that up, I think that's something that we should talk about um, because I know that you've got some, some interesting thoughts around this because it's a very, very common issue amongst climbers that essentially they're faced with this weekly, daily problem where they're not entirely sure whether they're prepared or recovered from previous training sessions to now take on this current session. And I know you've got some interesting thoughts around this. So I'd love to hear your approach at the moment and what you've been trying. Yeah. So one, one thing that I do is uh, not just to uh, monitor my external load. So the, the amount of weight and the reps and all that I'm doing, but I also uh, monitor how I'm responding uh, either subjectively with uh, a scale. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, the rate of perceived exertion, like it's a scale. So it's basically for people who have listened that never heard of it. It's basically a scale from one to 10 and what you can do with that. So you'll, you'll, after your training session, you can rate uh, your, how difficult was the session from you from a scale from one to 10. And then you can multiply that by the length of your session. And that's going to give you a value, which is, I call it a, uh, an internal load. So basically how you perceive the training that you just did so that's super valuable because if you use that, it's it's more actually more valuable than just tracking the outside because sometimes it doesn't tell you the whole story, you know, the reps and the amount and all that stuff. But how you perceive and how you respond to it is a, is very valuable, especially when you want to see if you're in a state of adaptation uh, or uh, you know overtraining and like you can, it can get a lot of uh, clues on how your training is doing by uh, by monitoring monitoring that. And one other thing I think, I haven't used it, but I know it, it's been used a lot in a lot of professional sport is using a, a dimometer. So a hand dimometer, which is basically a device that you kind of squeeze and it gives you uh, like the how much pounds you lift, like you can squeeze. So it can be a really good indicator for especially central nervous system fatigue and all that. You can, if you, if you use that and every, just, I think, sorry, I get a little bit ahead of myself sometimes, but uh, if you use that, the important is to use it always at the same time and be very, uh, very consistent how you're going to measure it. So if you're going to do it, make sure you, if you do it before your warm up, always do it at the same time or, or else like if you, and don't turn it into kind of like, uh, uh, you know, like a training where like, oh, I want to lift, I want to squeeze more or something, just like do it once. And it'll give you a value. And if you track that every day, you're going to see, you know, if you're, 
if you're progressing toward, if you track that number and it goes up, well, you're probably going in a state of fatigue or you're getting more tired. If it starts going down, well, you know that your, your fatigue is going down. So if you know that your external load are increasing, but your fatigue is going down, well, you know that you're in a state of adaptation and you're, you're responding well to your training. So you can keep increasing in your, your training's progress. So that's something I've been doing a lot, especially recently. And I started uh, doing it with my athletes. And it's very interesting because you can, you can dial down really well on how, where you're at in your training. It was like, okay, am I adapting? Am I going a bit too much? And you can change your number, your, your training numbers, and you can really, you can really make progress that, that way. So it's something I think it's a bit different that we, we hear sometimes when uh, from uh, from I don't know from training for climbing and stuff. But yeah, I don't know if you ever used anything like that. But or yeah, what's we, your thought on that? Yeah, we we, we definitely use the um, RPE e scale a lot within yeah. uh, you know the athletes and clients that we work with, and I think it's like basically the RPE scale has a really good use and it's really very um practical to be able to use to yeah essentially monitor monitor internal load but also just session in intensity that is still just as meaningful as having an yeah. absolute number of like kilograms um yeah so over time you'll still have meaningful data um and I, yeah we personally find that there's a good blend of using both basically um and that using absolute loads is useful but also rpe values are also really useful so yeah we're a blend yeah yeah that's great yeah that's what i do as well and uh, it makes a bit i think it makes a big difference in something that people overlook sometimes we focus a bit too much on do you actually the, the, the numbers or training or weights but uh sometimes just to focus a bit more on how you're feeling how you're responding to the training is very important as well mm. another th- way that i um uh, often measure the sort of recovery rate for from training as well and preparedness for uh, especially high high quality high intensity sessions is I essentially kind of do like a ramp test in my fingerboarding warm-up so yeah. i will i will have in my head a more or less um structured way that i slowly increase the intensity so plus 10 kilograms f- plus 15 plus 20 plus 25 and I know where my end point is when I feel a really good day and that's kind of approaching my PB, but I'll also pay really careful attention to the RPE value on that ramping up of the numbers. So on the days where as I'm ramping up another five kilograms on each weight, if I'm feeling kind of sluggish and it's just feeling hard work, even warming up, like my warm up is especially slow. I normally take that as a particularly good sign as well that I'm just not recovered that for me personally is a, is a big indicator yeah, yeah and it's it's go, it goes back to what we were talking to about like uh, how when i warm up for uh for harm lifting or or dead hang now will i progressively bring the weights up that's another advantage if you're like a little bit more tired you won't go into like you know those max lift right away you're going to be able to take take a decision it's like okay today i'm not really feeling good and maybe prevent uh, another way to uh, minimize the risk of injury mm. So I, I know a lot of people that are listening will be really interested in all the arm lifting stuff. We, we've done a number of interviews across the podcast recently, and I'd really like to get some insight from you on what you think are the key items for people to look out for when they're first doing their first bit of arm lifting, really, and around form, 
and methods, uh, body positions to look out for. And just as sort of a, a pre-warning to everyone listening, we're going to record a little video after this podcast uh, with Eve, just to kind of actually give you all some visual cues on this stuff. But it'd be great if you could kind of talk us through some of these items, um, just so anyone who's just listening will will get something to take away from. Yeah, I think that some of the key or like the the very popular ones, so a pinch, so you can get like a pinch block, like one hand pinch block. Uh, there's the Saxon bar, obviously, but it's it's the problem is that unless it's you're at, at the gym where you have a lot of space at home, it's something that's a bit bigger. So pinch blocks really nice. You know, you can usually put it in a, in a bag, carry it with you at the gym or at home. Uh, then I would suggest like uh, either a wrist wrench or a, a rolling handle, like uh, the rolling thunder. It's very popular and it's, uh, it's used in a lot of competitions. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, there's the axle again, but the same thing, those are the thick bars. So choose, choose one, one thick bar that, that uh that that you like and that's fine one pinch and then a finger a portable hangboards are very popular nowadays it's awesome like you can use those to warm up at the crag or actually do your training with it uh, a couple of things that i do see especially from climbers a couple of mistakes is uh they tend to make the rope a little bit too long and they roll the weight instead of keeping like their arm kind of locked and then lifting the weights with their legs so that's one of the mistakes I see a lot. So like kind of like rowing the weights up or lifting to the side of their body. So I would recommend like lifting like in between your legs and putting your shoulder over the weight. So, so not getting the weight way in front of you and lifting or so you want the weight right under your shoulder and that that's going to give you the best form. And yeah, for, same thing. Like it's just going to put you in a position that's less dangerous uh in terms of injury like a lot safer i think and have you got any opinions on whether in terms of the arm lifting work people should take a balanced approach of doing both single and two arm work initially or do you think it's better to work initially on one arm work because it's lighter loads what's your view on this uh i think i don't i, I to be honest like you know for even from from climbing uh I have did a lot of one arm dead hangs. I think the, the less weight, usually the better it is. So like, I think one hand is very nice because it's more manageable. So like, like I don't do a lot of two hands hang with a lot of weight because I just find it awkward. Um, I prefer to go in a smaller hold and then, uh, yeah, just had a little bit less weight. It's more controllable too. Like it's, if you slip or anything like that, it, I, I prefer to keep the weight on the lower side. So if I'm doing two hands, Two hand hangs, I'll probably going to go down on a smaller, smaller edge. And then if I do uh, two hands, same thing, same principle. I try not to go too crazy with the weights, but sometimes I, yeah, sometimes we do anyways. And another thing I see a lot of people doing is uh, uh, when they're doing um, pull-ups or hangs is they use the harness. And I, I would recommend using a, a dip belt or a, a, this, if you haven't used a dip belt before and you've been using a harness to do your hangs or your pull-up just try it you will never go back like it's so horrible like I yeah I remember trying like doing like pull-ups two-hand pull-ups with like a bunch of low it's like so awkward and it hurts your your abdominals and everywhere so if you use a dip belt it'll make the experience a lot more fun and easier so that's another I guess another tip yeah I think a dipping belt and a lifting pin are oh, yeah. so much easier like way more comfortable yeah for sure and, and what do you think of the 
uh, lift durations because in climbing we use a lot of five second seven second ten second hangs are you typically doing the same lifting as well again it goes to the goes really to the demands of uh, what exactly i'm preparing for so i always have that approach if i'm training for arm lifting competition well i gotta get ready to lift uh heavy singles right so i will uh, i'll do a lot my a lot most of my training so the first month i'll usually build my volumes i spend most of the stuff around 70 and slow 70 percent and i'll slowly build my volume a lot of reps and build my volume and then if i go on a competitive competitive cycle where like i'm going to start to increase my loads but reduce the volume and usually gives me a peak and stuff so it depends what i'm doing and if i'm planning for a trip uh it, it really depends on the exact demand of what i'm doing if i'm focusing for a climbing trip or anything like that or i have a project outside i will look i'll do like a video analysis usually on that that project or what i, I need to get ready for and I'll look at the number of moves, the, how long it takes. That's one of the beauties of uh, climbing nowadays is there's so much information, you know, like there's tons of videos, beta and all that. So I will look at that. I'll look at videos. I'll try to analyze, do a lot of like visualization and all that for that. And uh, I'll try to look what I need, what type of climbing holes that I have to train for and uh, make simulators. And same for the hangs. If like I know I have to be able to pull on that holes for 40 seconds, well, I'll try to get ready for that. It really depends on the exact demands of uh, of what I'm doing. I started doing that as well for competition. I've been looking at a lot of competition and doing time motion analysis on them. So, yeah, so I go through that and I look the rest periods and the time on the wall. And it's really cool because we started being able to do uh, specific training drills for very uh, common or very high demand, like, the, the, the passages that are very demanding in the in a climbing competition so so we started noticing like you know like those coordination moves which they tend to have a lot of attempt like up to 10 attempts sometimes people take with very short recovery periods like 10 seconds so i've been using that now for uh for creating very specific uh training protocol or training exercise when we go on the wall so when we train a specific type of boulders well we'll use you know we'll, we'll try to make up an exercise with what the, I've seen doing these analysis to try to make it a bit more specific so that the try the our athletes are not undertrained when they're uh, they're faced with that, which makes a bit difference because I mean if you're used to doing four by fours and you're used to resting say a minute in between your burns and then you have to go every 10 seconds to give a burn, there's a good chance that you're gonna be underprepared. I went completely out of uh, the question again. Sorry. Sometimes I just I go off. I, there would be a lot of trouble if me and you ever ended up in a bar. We'd, we'd get kicked oh, yeah. out at like 3 every time, a.m. in the morning. Every time I talk about training, I get too excited and like already like, you know, I'm like shaking. I'm like, yeah, I'm like a like like a dog that, you know, is waiting for his walk. I'm like, uh, I get really excited from anytime I talk about climb, training or climbing, I get to get very excited. So it's super fun. I'm very happy to be here. And to, another, uh, yeah, another question, which I. I've asked a few people now, um, and I'm going to ask you as well, is, is there anything that you see in the grip sports or arm lifting uh, athletes that they're doing that you think, huh, that's interesting. I think they're, they're grasping something here that's a little bit different to climbers. Climbers should be paying a bit more attention to this, or we should be adopting this into our sport. Is there anything that stands out at all? 
Um, uh, just the main difference, like, you know, like sometimes as climbers, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll maybe adapt a lot of the exercise to make them a bit more suitable for, to exactly for our demands, again, for, for what our needs are. In, in, in grip, like the, your goal is to lift the most weight as possible. When you're doing a competition, you know, you'll try to find all the little tricks to kind of like get a little bit more weight. So when you're doing a pinch, you're going to pronate a little bit the wrist. You know, like there's a lot of different techniques in climbing. Maybe with your training for climbing, that doesn't matter. Or maybe it's even better not to use those type of things. Uh, but yeah, when we're doing, if you're doing a competition and the goal is to lift the most weight, so you're going to try to find all the little, uh, everything, every little bit technique wise that can help you lift more weights, you're going to start using it. So I think that's maybe the, the difference between the two sports. Uh, I wouldn't maybe emulate too much what people in the grip world are doing like especially for pinch you know we trend, tend to go really deep on the pinch and keep our, our fingers straight i don't think that's going to translate very well if you're climbing we usually you know our, our fingers are usually bent like a semi-crimp position when we pinch things it's very rare that we're going to have a pinch that's so long that all our fingers are straight and or same thing we don't going to pronate our wrist so it depends if your goal is to improve in climbing then you should focus on or keep your wrists a bit more, your, your technique a bit more strict to what you're going to get the most benefit out of. If you're focused, if your, your goal is to lift more in arm lifting, then you should try to find all the little, little, uh, little things that'll help you lift more weight. Mm. How do you balance your lift finger strength work versus your hang finger strength work? Do you, combine them together do you do a 50 50 split or do you prioritize one over the other for blocks of three months at a time how, how do you do that uh you mix them usually i'll mix them so i have just a few exercises for the fingers most most of it is fingers you know i, I don't use the pinch or the tick bar angles too often unless i'm preparing for a competition i'll mostly focus mostly on the the finger just the fingertips type of uh, hangs that we usually do for for climbing so there's a couple of variation that i really like to do and then i'll rotate a little bit into them so either with a good size head so something like 18 like and then i'll try to lift so that that's one of my favorite one or the very small like a six, six millimeter edge on on the on a block like on something that you're going to lift for the floor those are my two favorite and the reason why is uh sometimes i find like like a 10 edge, 10, 10 millimeter edge is very good for me for training in terms of performance. I, I get a lot out of it, but the problem is it keeps creating splits. So I try to find a hold that doesn't, it's not going to damage me like, or, you know, it's because that once you get something like that happens, then, you know, it, it screws up a lot of your training. You're not, you're not able to get the volume. So I prefer to go into something a little bit bigger that won't damage my skin, something like 18 to do like heavier, just get a lot of strength, strength in the fingers, strength in the upper body. That helps a lot. And then focus on smaller holds, like something like six, four, like either on the bar, on the, on the, on a portable device, or I'll do it on a hangboard with two hands or something like that. Those are kind of like the two that I like. And then one arm dead hangs as well. I think it's still important to do one arm dead hangs because it makes very strong shoulders. From, uh, so I, I like, I always use that technique a lot. So that, 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 that's always been something that worked well for me. So same thing, I'll usually go something like 22 
18 millimeters is a good edge for most of my training. And then when I'm getting close to say a project or I'm in a, a competitive phase or something like that, where I really want to peak, I'm going to go start going down on smaller micros for uh, when I'm dead angle. So like 10, eight millimeters, I find I get a, I usually get a really good peak. So I do less sets and I start going down on smaller edge and then my level goes up quite a bit from that. Mm. And, and do you have any opinions on which order you should train the lifts versus hangs in a training session? Would you tend to prioritize the hangs over lifts because it's more sports specific or would you go the other way around because the lift feels more easier to warm up in or how, how do you wear that? Yeah, I, I, I change it up to be honest. I don't, uh, usually even when I warm up on the hangboard, I'll start with something that I'm comfortable uh, on and then I'll start adding weight. So whether I lift from the floor on the hangboard, uh, I haven't, I haven't, I, I didn't, I don't really have a preference but I try not to put too many exercises. So it's usually like one or two exercises for the fingers in a session. And then I'll do uh, other stuff, either climb or uh, do some uh, upper body conditioning or stuff like that, or strength training. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been something that's been common amongst everyone that I've chatted to you on this, that everyone's quite focused about, you know, specific tools that they're using or specific grips. It's not, I don't get common answers that come back and say, Oh, I go across, four different, you know, finger grip positions, um, yeah. three different pinch positions and two wrist positions. People are quite focused. Like I'm doing two, three different specific grip positions and then having a real focus on those during a training cycle. Yeah. And then if I would focus like on a grip comp, uh, and then there would be like four different, uh, four different events. If I know the order of the, the event, I'll, I'll actually, I'll definitely use the order that these events are going to come into like, so that I, I got, I'm trying to try to make it ex as closest to what I'm going to have in competition as I can. It's a, always a good, uh, a good idea, I think. Yeah. But if I'm just training for climbing, yeah, I'll usually do one or two exercise for the fingers and either jump on the, on the climbing wall or something like that after. Okay. Next up is the million dollar question. The one that everyone wants to know the answer for. And we get asked this, I mean, we got asked this a lot on lockdown was when you end up doing a lot of finger strength work, whether it's lifting or fingerboarding, sometimes even campus work, and you get really strong fingers, you look at your, your benchmarks and you compare yourself to others at the same kind of grades. And you think, yeah, I'm in a really good spot here. Like I definitely have strong fingers. What's your approach for transferring inhumane levels of finger strength actually back onto rock because you've got very strong fingers but you've also climbed hard on rock and i'd be interested to hear your specific approaches because i know you're limited on time and you can't put in like 30 hours a week of training what's your efficient way of doing this so if i train if a lot of times sometimes if i don't have a lot of time i'll do a lot of just fingerboard and if i go on the wall i i will feel if especially if it's been a big break from a climbing on a from climbing a lot on the board or something like that i will lose it for sure and one thing that i noticed is mostly getting back like that body tension not just in the abs but also in the legs squeezing and pulling and pushing with the feet so I find that's the, the first thing that I have to get back. So usually after a couple, three, four sessions, 
it usually comes back very fast and I can, uh, I can manage with that. And then most of the time with my schedule, I get to climb. I try to, when it's climbing season outside, I'll try to climb outside once a week. So I'll try to do my training. And if I get ready for a specific project, I'll try to make a simulator or train the type of moves that I'll see on my project or the length and all of that. And I'll try to get as close as I can to that. So that's kind of like my approach to, to projecting for something. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of it. Yeah, it's, it's a really tricky one because I think this comes down to that, how much time resource people have and where you you use it because ultimately if we look at the kind of numbers that people spend outdoors every year compared to the time they have inside is we see a bit of a kind of basically a glass ceiling in terms of how efficient you are and really laying it down on rock if people aren't getting outside much beyond maybe 75 to 100 days a year and if it's less than that they're they're in a tricky spot and and they're kind of working against um they're working against themselves i suppose in yeah. a way um because you just can't get the flow and the refinement and movement and efficiency on rock yeah for sure i think like if you're if you only get to do like finger training or something like that or physical training at home it's a little bit tricky because it's the climbing is still very technical it's a very technical sport and like getting all that and feeling well, even getting a good pace and stuff when you're moving on the rock, it's, it takes time, you know, like you're not gonna, you're not gonna get that from hangboarding, right? So if you can try to mix a lot of, I think, climbing as much climbing as you can into it. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be good. Every time I climb, if I, my focus is more on outdoor climbing, so I'll try to spend more time on the board and a little bit less on the, on the, uh, on the fingerboard, more on the climbing board. I mean, I've got a friend who is, very very geeky about his climbing training and literally will read anything and uh argue anything within climbing and i i said to him i was interviewing you and i said you're gonna have like you've got one question here basically to ask eve and his question to you um and this is my one placed guest question is you obviously do a lot of climbing and fingerboarding or you know forearm flexor extensive work how do you balance high intensity work versus very low intensity high volume work is there a balance or do you literally do nothing at high volume low intensity for you okay so there's phase and there were times i if i if i want to be kind of don't want to be an hypocrite and just say oh yeah i do like you know i do a lot of cardio like there's phase i don't have a lot of time and whatever I can do, I'll try to maximize that time into, if I know I only have time to do some hangboarding or something like that, well, I'll focus on what I can get the max amount of, if it's just one exercise and I'll put all my time into that. So there are times where I just, I'm just have time to do a hangboard session. There's, there's months I just, you know, that's all I can do. And so I'll try to find the one thing. Usually I'll try to keep my fingers in shape, you know, like my fingers very strong. So I'll just do like, I'll try to keep my fingers, my maximum strength on my fingers and I'll scrap all the rest, but I will not be fit. Like, like I know there's a lot of times I'm physically very strong, but I am not fit at all. Like if you like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's funny because like, if you get me on a car, like a conditioning circuit, 
you'll tell it's like wow this guy's like he's not very in shape he's not very good but uh yeah same thing like if i go to a competition and i've, I've been training in the basement you know you're not very well prepared for what uh, you're going to be which i tried you know like i was climbing outside and it's like you know there's a competition a good comp big competitions with the north american cup series come into my hometown i'll do it but you know it didn't end up well like you're not when you're used to resting five minutes in between your your attempts you know and like just focusing on a tiny little board with small holes and then you're going to go you know those bigger walls with big slopers and you have to give multiple attempts especially nowadays the boulders are very low percentage and requires a lot of it you need to be very fit to be a comp climber nowadays so obviously i was you're going to be quite underprepared if you're doing that so it really depends on how much time i have if i have time to do more things then i'll definitely add it in if not i'll just focus on what i think it'll give me the keep my performance the highest so usually i'll i keep i'll try to keep my finger strength because i don't want to use my lose my my maximum strength in my fingers usually I, even if i do one or two sessions a week i know i can maintain that level i can actually do some maintenance and keep it keep it up there but it won't really go up or anything but i can at least i can maintain it and when it's time then i'll slowly build my loads up you know it's like a very slow i use another thing you might have heard of like the acute and chronic load ratio so uh so yeah i'll use that and i'll slowly rebuild so the longer the break usually the longer it takes to come back up so but uh yeah if you do it carefully and you go slowly then you reduce the risk of injuries and all that but that that's one of the dangers too i think if you take like a really big break and you're used to being very strong or like feeling strong okay i used to lift this and you try to lift it you're like yeah you're gonna spike your spike your training loads and uh you get you get become at risk of uh getting hurt so you just have to slow things down and slowly bring it back up and be patient i think it's the best yeah, approach in my yeah it's really frustrating for people who've got to a pretty high standard in any sport and they take some time out whether it is for you know family break career break injury and when they come back they kind of intuitively know where they should be at and the body almost wants to play still um, yeah. and sometimes feels like it's not that far off where you were, but it's, it's such a bad idea to go back straight back at those kind of loads, even 10% off those loads back for training. You've got to very steadily build it up again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when usually I do, I'm going to do a lot of volume. So I'll just do like a lot of repeaters, a lot of volume, just slowly bring it back up and you just have to be patient and it, uh, it comes back fast. Like if you're patient, yeah, if you try to like right away, get back to where you are, you know, it's, it's not a good, it's recipe for, for disaster. Usually. Yeah. yeah. My last question, um, before I, um, get, uh, to, too excited by all of this stuff that we chatted about and uh, my br brain explodes um is in the instances and i know we're going to go and uh, do some filming for uh, some of this form stuff for lifting um in a little bit um so everyone listening watch out for that um is in the scenario where you do get injured are there any exercises that you use or others around you or anyone that you respect in terms of um, either grip sports or climbing that you feel is still beneficial to conditioning you as an athlete whether it's maintaining 
or still building some level of uh, increase in strength um, or resilience whilst you have an injury? Is there any kind of go-to exercises that you think are still useful? If it's a, if it's a finger injury, uh, I think one of the approach that I like, uh, I've used with uh, some athletes before I, I've shared this with is to not take too like a really long break like don't don't just stop for like a month or something and try to come back because like it feel like the the pain the swelling is going to go away and then people are going to get a bit too excited and just push a bit too much and then same thing you know like you just it's the same thing we're talking about like you're used to having a certain amount of volume in your training you go to zero and then you try to go back up you're gonna you're gonna put yourself at risk so first thing you have to do is really bring back the intensity try to keep the movement in the hand like i usually i would take maybe at least a week off and wait for the swelling to go down and then that's that's one of the big advantage i think of like arm lifting device or the portable hangboard you could use that and then just slowly bring your weight up you know like with, with five pounds ten pounds just slowly bring the the blood back in and like that i think is probably one of the best approach to come back from a finger injury uh yeah I, I that's what i would recommend i think if but i'm not a medical doctor or anything like that but i think that would be my approach uh, traditionally before i did like anything with uh, those portable hangboard device i would just go like on a vert wall and i would keep all the weight on my feet or something and i would just go just do some movement some endurance not too long sessions but just like keep the weight everything very in control and i would be very careful of jug especially if it's a pulley injury well, it tends to hit or touch the, 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 the part that you injured before. Like, so if you do like any, any jump or anything dynamic or, or hit the padding area, I find it, it kind of makes it a bit longer to, uh, to recover. So I would go very controlled the way I grab holes, very slow, keeping the weight on my feet. And that speeds up recovery. I, I, I've shared that method with a lot of people that comes to me at the gym or ask me uh, how to recover from an injury. And it works really well. Like uh, I've seen people come back really fast, and uh, yeah, that's that's my take on recovering from a from a finger injury. That works. But again, I'm not a physician, so you should go see your doctor first and see what he says. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that um, the the, gra the gradual loading and not taking huge amounts of time off, but being very progressive about coming back to it relatively early um is often a good approach and it's one of the mistakes that i made early on in my climbing careers i take big breaks when i i've got those injuries and i really regret that and then the other one that i learned um and it's because i just started climbing a little bit more on on slab climbing just because of where i was located in the country was uh going on small holds but on terrain where you're actually weighting your feet quite a lot but it feels like you're doing hard moves so you feel like you're pulling on half crimps or full crimps pretty hard but in an absolute sense the total load going through the fingers are relatively low because you're on your feet it was a very very good way for me to rehab versus what I used to do which was to go on relatively steep terrain on bigger holds where yeah. actually a lot of the weight was still on your fingers and like I just didn't it's a bit real mistake. And I, I, I wish I, I'd clocked that earlier. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think all, all of us, we think, you know, like, well, I'm going to go climb on the jugs because the jugs are safe. They're really big. But the problem with the jug is like it hits, it touches like that part that goes in oftentimes is going to hit the exact padding section where you hit the injury. So it's just kind of like kind of almost like creating a bruise or like poking the injury. So if you can keep on like everything very controlling, put most of the weight on the, on your feet, even if the holds are a bit smaller, but you can keep the weight on. It's, it's just like, if you can be patient enough to go for at least like one or two weeks and slowly go like that and not go crazy. That's when people I see, I've seen a lot at the gym. Uh, they just, they're too excited. They want to get back to where they are. They're either going to take a really big break and then it's like, okay, the swelling's gone. I can't feel it. They come back and then right away, you know, like they're going to go say on a, even on a jug climb or do something dynamic and you're going to, it's going to hurt again. And then it's just a vicious circle. I think most, most of us as climbers, we had finger injuries. And if you've been through that, you just know, it's just like, it's something like it can take forever. If it just keeps cycling into an injury and it just tweaking it again, tweaking it again, and just keeps on, it can go on for, for months and months, you know, it can be very frustrating. So yeah, for me, that approach really worked. Just going very slow, keep everything on your feet. And then, uh, yeah, progressively, just you just have to be a little patient too and not try to get back onto uh, whatever you were before the injury happened. And oftentimes it happens when you're in the peak shape, right? You're like feeling good. You're pushing your level. You're getting really excited. Same thing. You're, you know, you're, you're pushing a bit too much. You're pushing at new levels and that's when things can happen. Yeah, we, we kind of have this um, in-house rule at Lattice, which is uh, when uh, anyone in the office at work or whether one of our clients emails us or, you know, you, you get chatting to someone and they go, oh, I just had the session of my life. I PB'd on like four different things. I am feeling incredible. We always go, right, this coming week, you are doing much, much lower loads don't try and push it even further because the amount of times we've seen three days later, boom, it's gone. And yeah. because they push that you have such a positive feedback, you feel great because you PB'd and then you go, I'll push even harder when you've just made that adaptation to a new level. It's yeah. It happens so many times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's one, one trainer that I really like, or a coach that I really like Tim Gabbett, you know, do you ever heard of him anyway? Uh, he does a lot of work like with the acute and chronic load ratios and all that. And uh, I, I, I studied a lot of his stuff and I read a lot of his me medical research and you can see, you can see like there's two parts where people tend to get a lot, a lot of injury is when the load is too low, when, uh, so same thing. And we take a big break and then you come back up or when you're like just pushing into like ratios that are, like unsustainable or like much higher than it used to be, then those are the kind of like the two contrasts that a lot of it, the injuries tend to happen and stuff. Uh, yeah. Mm. Well, Eves, it's it been awesome chatting to you about all this stuff. I feel um, like we could keep going forever. I know we, get, we could keep going forever. Um, <laughs> but um, we, we've, we've got to go and um, uh, film a video for some, uh, some lifting forms. So uh, yeah, anyone listening, um, we're going to get this filmed. Um, so watch out for that. We'll um, make sure we put that out because we're really keen to try and help educate all of you out there for some of these tips um, and methods for lifting, because we 
know and believe that it to be a really good complementary uh, strength and conditioning exercises do in addition um, as climbers and is really relevant to the sport and the kind of the um, strength in the grip that we're trying to improve on um, over the journey that we have in our performance. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, and where can people find you, um, Eve, in terms of um, either websites, social media, um, anywhere that you kind of like to point people to to find more from you? Um, uh, Instagram is mostly where I put a lot of the climbing stuff or arm lifting stuff. So it's my name, Yves Gravel. And then uh, I have a YouTube channel as well. I don't post as often on there, but, uh, I'm planning to upload a bit more, more creative, uh, content, usually like, uh, edit type of material I'll put on, I'll put on there, but, uh, yeah, same thing. My name, Yves Gravel, uh, is where you'll find, uh, yeah, some fun training stuff, I guess. Awesome. Well, I'll get you to email me over those links for those, and then I'll put those in the show notes so that people can um, get links through to those, because I'm sure they'll be uh, interested to go and check that out. And um, otherwise, uh, thanks. Yeah, once again, it's um, been superb to chat to you. Thanks for sharing everything from your years and years of experience. And um, we'll we'll catch up again uh, very soon. Okay, the pleasure was all mine.